birthday. I'd be great to find out I'm a stickler. I believe we ought to attend the house of God. I don't believe there's too very many excuses as far as attending the house of God is concerned. Sickness maybe, but also there is something there that the Bible tells us that if there's any sick among you, what do we do? Come saints. Do we stay at home? Take six aspirin and pray. If there's any sick among you, what do you do? Call for the elders of the church. You see, once we have done what we are supposed to do, then it's up to God to do the rest. If He doesn't, then on legal grounds, we have a right to do the way we feel to do. But first, we must exhaust what God has for us. Uh, tonight, I'm going to set forth something on you are what you eat. How many of us are good eaters? A lot of us are lettuce out of the individuals, dieters. Uh, uh, some of us are Coca-Cola and hamburger boys and girls. A lot of us milkshakes, some of us Cokes. Uh, but you are what you eat. Now that's not only what you feed your body, but that's also what you feed your mind. Amen. Oftentimes we wonder about our spirituality, but we need to stop and think, what did we feed our mind today? What is our mind existing on? Right. As well as what did we feed our body? What, what did we give to the spiritual man today? Because what we eat in the natural is going to be what strength we have. Right. You take a person that doesn't eat all day and he works hard all day, he's going to be... Uh, physically weak. Yes. Well, I'm afraid that works the same way in the spiritual. Yes. You don't feed the, this old new spiritual man every day. Why, he's going to grow weak. And what if he don't get a good meal but once a week? Uh, once a month? Well, he just gets so weak that he finally dies. Right. And a lot of people are spiritually dead because they would not feed their spiritual man. I'd like for you to turn to St. John, the fourth chapter, the 31st verse. This is happening here just right after that Jesus had met with the woman at the well, and she was out telling everybody what happened. You see, when Jesus did something for her, she was so enthused that she went out and told everybody else. But in the meantime, while she was spreading, the good word of God about the indwelling spirit, and she met a man that told her everything and told her about the well of living water. In the meantime, verse 31 says, In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him ought to eat? And Jesus said unto them, My meat. Is to the will of is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And so Jesus is setting forth there something that we ought to look at. He has meat that you know not of. In other words, something to strengthen the inner man that you know not of. And in Revelations 2 and 17, I'll just read it from here. Expecting that it says to him that overcometh. Will I give to eat of the hidden land? He's talking to one of the churches there. And the correct translation is to he that strives to overcome. This is not talking about individuals that's already entered in the kingdom of God. 
But this is talking about individuals that striving to be overcomers enough that they would enter into the kingdom of God. And he is saying here just very simply, if you're striving to overcome, I'll give you to eat of the hidden man. In other words, we have a struggle in this spiritual life. There's ups and downs. There's problems. Sometimes things come in our life that we just simply cannot cope with. And Jesus is telling us now when this happens, there is a hidden source of food for individuals if you're striving to overcome. In other words, he's saying there's no problem for what there is the hidden source of strength and energy coming from him if we'll be obedient to that. And I, I want to give you what Exodus says for a few moments on the man. He said hidden man. Now, of course, everybody's familiar with that. That's what the children of Israel eat in their wanderings in the wilderness. But it's a small round thing, as small as the hoarfrost on the ground. It's like a paramba seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey, having the taste of fresh oil. And in this manner was all the necessary ingredients the body needed for health and strength. In other words, while the children of Israel was wandering in the desert, Starving without anything to eat, Jesus miraculously, or God miraculously, provided something, just a little parameter seed, small, having a taste of fresh oil and a taste like honey, and said, this is yours, go gather it and eat it. And it was everything they needed to sustain them in their physical body. And though it was all they needed, and they certainly was aware of that. The children of Israel grew tired of God's provisions for them. There can almost be a direct parallel drawn from that day to our day. God has provided for us, His children, through the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, and through the Word of God, all the spiritual ingredients that we need to be spiritually strong. And yet, in spite of this, the children of Israel grew tired of what God had provided for them and demanded flesh to eat. Listen to the passage they say in Numbers 11, 4, 5. Who shall give us flesh to eat? And then it says, we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely. We remember the cucumbers. We remember the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garden. Now that doesn't sound too appetizing to me in view of something that is have a taste of fresh oil and a taste of honey. But they grew tired of this. And if we not careful, we grow tired of the spiritual food of the Word of God and begin to desire things that had we had when we were out in the world. And the thing that bothers me is when they saw those things and remember the weeks onion and the garden. Why in God's name could they not remember the bondage that went with it? And I think that would be something good for us to dwell on tonight. When the world begins to look for things in the world to satisfy them, having known God, felt God, experienced the power of God, and the love of God, and yet look back and these things look good, they remember them there. But why don't we remember the bondage that went with it? Where they were taken out and made slaves. And these people were not slaves anymore. They were free. 
God was providing everything that they needed and heading them toward a land that was plenty. And so this man that was put in a golden pot and put in the Ark of the Covenant. Now we want to talk about that in just a few minutes. But so you get some idea, you might look on this. And my wife is the artist. And of course, uh, this brain up here thinks this, see. <laughs> and then she just follows the directions. Is that all right? And it says here, you are what you eat. Leeks and onion and garlic. Which, and then there's manna. Which brings spirit, and all of this is flesh. Now she's got here, I don't know, she's got potato chips and colas and uh, true story magazines and uh, gossip over the telephone. And then over here she's got the bread of life and the milk of God's word and the meat of God's word. What is that? A pork chop? That's a T-bone steak, in case you want to know what that is. That's the meat of God's word. And there's God's word. And all of this verses, gossip versus prayer, true stories versus God's, versus God's word, potato chips and coke, of course, uh, versus the meat of the word of God. And what are these things? Well, it tells you right up there. Right up where? Right up Leak? Is that a leak? Yes. Anybody know what a leak looked like? Which one's a leak? This? No. This? Yeah, leak, and that's an onion. Right. And that's hard. And can you imagine the time a person gets through with a meal like that, who would want to be around? <laughs> Amen? <laughs> I mean, uh, your breath probably would smell pretty bad. And let's just take that then again in the natural or in the spiritual. Once we have had a diet of this, of things of the world, and we're supposed to belong to God, who in God's name wants to be around us? There's no wonder sometimes our neighbors are not too interested to visit us, and us to visit them, because this is what you would become when you have a diet of all of these things. This is the manifestations of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, oh, you say, I don't go that far, but there is such thing as spiritual adultery, and spiritual fornication. Yes. And that simply means having to do with someone other than that which you are attached to, which is God Almighty. Right. So you see, if we're not careful, we zero in on natural adultery, upon natural fornication, and most of us as God's people are above this. But let's take a real good look at how far above it are we when it comes to spiritual fornication and spiritual adultery? Stepping out on God. Going out with someone other than that which you have become a spouse to. Uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variances, immolations, wrath, and so on. You'll find all these in Galatians 5, 19, and 21. That comes from the diet of this. Now remember, the two-faced man the other Wednesday night, remember that? He was looking two ways, two, two things. You also have in a different sense, you and I standing here gazing, here's flesh. Children of Israel looking, had everything they needed to sustain them in their spiritual strength. Look back to Egypt, desired it, and God gave them what they wanted. I want you to rest assured that if we are wanting something, God will let us have it. 
The Bible says he sent them quail, and they eat it, but notice what came with it. And it said so many thousands died and with it between their teeth. Death is about all you can expect out of fleshly appetites. Here you have it here. There's a balance which does the scale skip this way with these which will bring death, or does the scale skip this way, which is with these the bread of life, the milk of the word of God, the meat of the word of God, God's word and prayer. And if you're eating these things in your life, you'll have love and you'll have joy and you'll have peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. That's in Galatians 15, 22, or 5, isn't it? Galatians 5, 22, and 23. And who wouldn't want to be around you with all of these things emitting out from you? Everybody wants to be around a loving person. Everybody wants to be around a joyful person. Everybody likes to sit close to somebody that is with peace with themselves. Amen? And that one of the worst individuals you can be around is somebody that is not at peace with themselves. They're troubled, they're anxious. They don't know what's happening. And then long-suffering. Who doesn't want to come and be with somebody that suffers long? And then there's gentleness. Are you gentle with people? Goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. The Bible says, against such, there is no law. And this all comes from the manna which is from heaven. And some of this manna was taken and put in a pot and put in the Ark of the Covenant and it was used. Now nothing more is heard in the Ark of the Covenant after Nebuchadnezzar carried the vessels of the house of God and put them in his temple in Babylon. Now the Bible says that in the last days man would be looking for everything but the coming of the Lord. Amen? And uh, also points out a scripture. I believe it's in Peter where it says, Where is the promise of his coming? Everything remains just like it was from the beginning. In other words, the promise of hell is blinded the eyes, not only of sinners, but of Christians to the fact that the imminent return of Christ is at hand. Now whether we want to believe it or not, the early church preached concerning the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they survived on this. The Apostle Paul's greatest confidence was going to these churches and restoring the confidence in the fact that Jesus was going to return. Now it's been almost 2,000 years since Jesus went away. Been almost 2,000 years since he ascended into heaven. And almost every generation from that time has looked for the coming of the Lord. We have searched the signs of time. We had in World War II, I think. They are World War One. They was looking at the Kaisers to the Middle East and uh, the false prophet. In World War Two, they was looking at Hitler, Mussolini, and so on and so forth. And searching for signs of time, man wants to know when it is the coming of Jesus. And uh, then, just like a natural man, we see that things are not moving too fast, and we become sleepy, and we become weary. We was in Israel, 1975. Now, the Jews believe that there has to be a temple to welcome Jesus when he comes, or the Messiah when he comes. They don't believe the Messiah has ever come. And they believe that there has to be a temple. And uh, Ezekiel describes a temple 
that has never been built yet. Now we need to recognize that. Man has got everything, a lot of people has got everything already completed. And all the church has to do is wait for the coming of the Lord. But then that's cutting out at least two-thirds of your Old Testament scriptures that have never been fulfilled. Now the scripture is prophecy, and prophecy stands to be fulfilled. Then we've got to find the fulfillment in them or your Bible just as well against the whole thing. So you have some things that haven't happened yet. And you have some things that we could be doing as God's people to hasten the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in Israel, 1975, uh, Brother Barnett, a Methodist minister we went over with, asked one of the Jewish uh, scholars in uh, one of their temples as we was walking through it. He said, when will you build the temple? And uh, are you having plans to build the temple? Now this is 1975. And uh, the Jew said this, the temple will not be rebuilt until we find the Ark of the Covenant so we can place it in the Holy of Holies and until the ashes of the last dead heifer is found. Now we get to that in just a few minutes. But he was saying that whenever they came back for, from the 70 years captivity and they built the second temple, he was saying that the glory of God was never in that second temple because the Ark of the Covenant had been lost. They built this temple, but look at it and it. The glory of God never entered into the temple. The first temple was built, of course, and Solomon uh, ministered concerning it, and the glory of God fell insomuch that the priest couldn't even stand the ministry. And you find the second temple, the glory of God was never there. Because the glory of God dwelt at that time in the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was lost, and they could not place it in the temple. And this you said we will rebuild no temple until the Ark of the Covenant is found, and until the ashes of the last red heifer is found. Now then, after eight years almost, I'm marking those words down. I get from Oklahoma City, Bible in the News, Southwest Baby Old Church, and it quotes from all types of documentations from uh, uh, the Oklahoma Daily and from San Francisco Chronicle and newspapers all over the land. And I want you to follow me just a little bit while I take some time to read this. According to Exodus 25, God commanded Moses to construct the tabernacle and the pattern of all instruments thereof. Even so shall you make it, and they shall make an ark of shittim wood. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half uh, the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, within and without shalt thou overlay it, and thou shalt make it a crown of gold round about. In other words, that's the ark of the covenant. Now, documentation, San Francisco Chronicle, 11, 20, and 81, says the Ark of the Covenant is reportedly found. I want you to see what is happening in our world while we, for the most part, God's people, slumber and sleep. Signs of time still unfold themselves. And it says here, Winfield, Kansas, calling from the UPI, the leader of a Kansas-based religious group, said yesterday it found the lost Ark of the Covenant in a cave in Jordan. Tom Croster, leader of the Institute for Restoring Ancient History International, said his expedition to the Middle East 
found the cave where the biblical treasure had been laid untouched for better than 2,000 years. Ark is there, said Jim Bollinger, a man of the format expedition that returned a week ago from the mountain where the ark reported to rest. We have pictures of it. Bollinger said the ark was found inside the sea passageway, inside the cave on honeycomb of Mount Fisca, east of Jerusalem, and about 35 miles southwest of Island Jordan. It's there, he said. Very large, looks just like I pictured it would. A gold-covered chest of the group found in four feet wide, five feet long, four feet high, two nine-foot-tall golden wings of chairs on either side of the mercy seat. Now, they're waiting, paraphrasing this, they're waiting uh, an approval of David Rothschild, who they say will put some pressure on the Jordanian government so they can go again and get that. And then it says, although the Bible does not state where the present whereabouts of the original Ark of the Covenant is, the book of 2 Maccabees, and I have that book, 257 says this, And Jeremiah came and found the cave, and he brought there the tent and the ark, and he sealed up the entrance. The place shall be known, shall be unknown until God gives his people together and shows his mercy. Now the Ark of the Covenant has been found. The Jews are certainly in preparation of trying to make ready for the coming Messiah. On the same page, we have this reading that the Jews are not the only ones, or the Christians are not the only ones that's preparing for the coming Messiah. Now, the Christian belief is this, two views. When uh, Jesus cleared the temple of the money changers, that's when he suddenly came into his temple. Others say when he was baptized in the river Jordan by John the Baptist and the Spirit entered in, then this temple, which was the place, then he suddenly came into his temple according to Malachi 3.1. But the Jews believe neither of these, and they believe the Messiah has not yet come, and they are making preparations to get a temple ready and priests ready with all the attributes of priests ready to receive the coming Messiah. Now they're more concerned about his coming seems like than the Christian church. Goes on to say Christians are not the only people on this planet preparing for the Messianic age, which is a thousand years of peace. For instance, the Yeshiva Torah Pahalman overlooking the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, students are getting ready for that age by studying the Talmud laws and the Temple and the priesthood. Even in an unfinished dorm room, students are studying scale plans of the second temple while young scholars explain a temple model to school children visiting the temple or visiting the dorm. Documentation in the Hadassah Magazine 1281, getting ready a very special yeshiva. In a dilapidated stone building tucked away in the corner of the old city of Jerusalem, a small group of young scholars huddled around a massive old table Prepare for the end of the world as we know it. They're ready a moment's notice tomorrow or tonight or now to rush out and usher in the Messianic era in the traditional manner described by Judaism. You see, they're feeling something. There's something in the air. Something is about to happen. And even those that don't know that Jesus is the Messiah knows that this age is about ready to come to him and they're getting ready to receive him. One of the 
young scholars probably talking in and said these words. What's the sense of asking for the Messiah to come if we're not ready to meet him? I saw and pondered that question. And I thought, that Jew has more on the ball than the average minister or lay member of the Christian faith. Because certainly Christ is coming for somebody. And the Bible says his wife hath made herself ready. In other words, there has to be a preparation and a readiness. And this man was honest enough to say, what's the use of us spending time asking the Messiah to come and we don't have the temple and we don't have the Ark of the Covenant and the purification of the priest and the way they're supposed to be. We've lost all of this. What used to ask him to come when we're not ready to meet him? And so he is having lessons. It says here he expected 30 people to apply and 350 replied. And at last there was 1,500 people, including the chief rabbi of Israel, that's coming searching the ancient priesthood and trying to find what it takes to restore the Levitical order of the priest. And all of this is bad. Built a replica of an ancient temple, and it says, They use this scripture, the Lord, whom you seek, shall suddenly come to his temple. Yes. Now, then, another one they have found, they say, the ashes of the red heifer. Now, what you would have to do in order to catch up on this is to read that in Numbers, which tells you the importance of the ashes of the red heifer. They were used in the ancient. Ritual purity and impurity of Israel till the time of the destruction of the second temple. Many Bible scholars believe that the ashes were deliberately hidden. This ritual is explained in great length in the Jewish concept by Rabbi Philip Barman and uh, also talking about it in the Encyclopedia Judici. Jews claim that there were nine red heifers, and history bears this out. And the last heifer's ashes are those being sought. Day. And this man from the Oklahoma Times says they have located archaeology is his hobby. And he talks about the entire 19th chapter numbers dealing with the ashes of the red heifer. And he says, believes that once they find this, they're going to give it to the chief rabbi, Salomo Doran, with no strings attached, upon which then, with the Ark of the Covenant, the priesthood could be established and work on the final temple could be built. Right. You see, we're living in momentous days. We're living, even as Paul said, purest times. We're living in a day and hour that's about ready to usher in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I look around and I share this with my wife. It seems like when church people ought to be getting closer, there seems to be more wages driven than ever before. When church people ought to be more concerned, they seem to find so many other things to take up their time, a Bible study and prayer, and worship at the house of God. And it seems like all of these things have ought to be happening to prepare us for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Simply are just going the other way. Now, I'm fully sure that God is going to have a coupon. But... We're not looking today for the, uh, we're not looking for the ashes of the red heifer. We're not looking for the Ark of the Covenant. 
Because we know this went out when Jesus said, the old order is out. You don't need it anymore. He ushered in the order. And Revelation says this in the temple. But the Jews are. And they're preparing this. And the Bible says it will happen. There will be another temple. There will be temple worship. There will be priests. And then the appellation of desolation will come in and take over. And this, this shows the signs of the tribulation that is soon to come. Jesus says in John, I am the greater one. Yes, he is not a man of there. He says, now I'm the bread of life. Your fathers eat the man in the wilderness. They're dead. But this bread that cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and might not die, the bread that I give you is my flesh. And that flesh has become the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. So you want to eat something, eat from the manna, from the body of Christ, from the Word of God, and get solid in this day and in this hour which we live. He also says, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Seems to be contrary sometimes to the thinking of everyday Christianity today. But there must be an eating of the flesh. There must be a breaking of his blood. There must be a partaking of the place of Jesus, which is the word of God, whether it be written or whether it be spiritual. A man in the Ark of the Covenant that saw in heaven was Jesus. And there is, back to what I first read to you, is hidden man. Hidden man, I don't believe that the average Christian in this day and hour has had any recollection that was ever there. And there is hidden man. Manister to sustain those that suffer. to help those that are down trodden. Man in order to sustain us in sickness. And the discouragement and despondency. There is someone that we can grow from. And not continually. And not every day. And that one is Jesus of Nazareth. And we need to some way reach out. And realize it is hidden man. Yes. The world can't see it. It doesn't know it's there. And so it can live on it. But God's people should know where He has given to those that are striving to overcome, to be used in the time of trials, to be used in the time of tribulation, in the time of persecutions, not in the kingdom, but right now as we make our journey to the kingdom of God. I'm a firm believer. There's a lot of discouraged people that have faltered and failed. For them with a hidden man. Something that the common Christian will never be able to see. Only those who are spiritual. Only those who are willing to suffer. He tells them we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Oftentimes we get the cart before the horse. We try to follow him without denying ourselves. We try to take up a cross without denying ourselves. And you can't carry a cross without self-denial. And you can't follow Jesus without taking up your cross and following him. Right. Now this is given to the overcomer. I think the thing that, now I hope I don't get uh, on uh, some of your theological ground here. I don't know your teachings. I don't know what you've been taught. So you just overlook me or, no, don't do that. Listen to what I have to say and then 
than compared to what Scripture has said. But I know there's two views. Well, in fact, more than two, but actually there's a view of a rapture before the second tribulation. There's a view of the rapture in the middle of the tribulation for years and a half, the catching away of the saints out from it. And there is a view of a rapture after the tribulation. And I was talking not too long ago to several of the men that had embraced both the prior, before, and the middle. And their hearts were gripped with fear. And these are men that had taught it from the time they were ministering. Their hearts were gripped with fear. And these are their words to me. I made, did not make known any news of mine. They simply said this. I don't know what we're going to do. And I don't know what the church is going to do. Because some of the things that we minister would come to pass after the church had been called away, has happened, and is happening today, and we are still here. Right. And I concur. It is definitely so. And their hearts are ripped with fear, and they looked at me and just asked the question, not that I can answer. They said, what in God's name is the people of God going to do if perchance we have rallied them around this and let them take it what's going to happen and they are not prepared to undergo the awful tortures of the early church or the martyrs during the dark ages. What is going to happen to them? And this is what brought me on a search of what I'm talking about. And God made me to know that regardless of whatever tribulations we suffer, there's tribulations now. And we need to realize there is strength for that. Right. And the coming tribulation, I suppose, will get greater. But we minus, the church is going to have to undergo something in order to purify it. And the question is, what will sustain us in that hand? Yes. How are we going to make it? Well, provisions have already been made. The hidden man. Yes. The man of forgiven. Ask the question. What do you think enabled the Hebrews of faith? And Hebrews talks about to endure the torture that they endured, the mockings that they endured, the scourging, the stoning, the soul asunder. They were human just like you and I. They had no supernatural strength or no supernatural abilities, but they endured. They would not recant. They would not give up on their God, and all types of cruel things happened to them, and yet they stood Paper 
kind of send it to the churches. And then when it come time for this man to die, chained to two soldiers, brought him out, took the chains and shackles from his feet, and two of the large soldiers on his side. And about as far as from here, I suppose, about 75 feet, they said. From the time they brought him out of that dungeon was a man stood hooded with a great type of an axe, huge man, and there was a block where they laid their heads and beheaded them. And they led him right out from the dungeon, made them stand there long enough for them to get used to the bright sunlight so they could look down that path and see what was waiting down there in Kindendu. They stood the apostle Paul there long enough for him to get his eyes out. And he looked and viewed and he knew what was ahead of him. And what do you suppose give him the courage and the power to break loose from his strong captors and run and lay his head on that top block and said, I'm glad to give my life for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. What made that man what he was? I'll tell you what he was. It was the meat from heaven, the hidden man, the power of the Lord Jesus Christ in the times of calamity. That's what made him able to stand. You say, well, that was the apostles during the dark ages. John Huss was given the opportunity to be captured and denounce his convictions and to save his life. And he replied these words. I take God to remember this day that I have preached none but his own pure doctrine. And what I have preached, I am now ready to seal with my own blood. They took his clothes off of him, stripped him with everything but his boots. He was marched across the field to a stake outside the city. He was tied, strong wood was piled up around him to his chin, and he was set on fire. And this declaration says what he heard. He sang and prayed until the flames stifled his voice and his spirit ascended beyond which reach of vicious and seditious men. What gives individuals the moxie, so to speak, of the intestinal fortitude, or the power to stand, knowing their impending death, and all they would have to do is say, I deny Jesus and I deny his name. What gives them the power to stand? The hidden man, the power of God, that which is in the temple of God from the heavens. They have what they call in the old times of Lamartine prison, described as a cell cut in solid rock, consisting of two chambers, one above the other. The lower chamber is called a death cell. The light never enters in it and is never cleansed. Also stench where thousands of Christians were murdered. Generates a poison fatal to ones confined there, the most awful ever known. And we are told, biblical history, that Simon Peter was cast into this horrible prison for nine months in absolute darkness, manacled to a post in an upright position so he couldn't sit down. He endured the most horrible kind of treatment. Historians write that never before or since, including what happened in Hitler's time, has there been a prison such as this. Men would starve to death or go insane. And we're told in that history that in spite of this, the apostle Peter's spirit remained unknown. He stayed true to the power of the word of God and in spite of his suffering. And while he was doing that, he converted more than 47 men to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ while he endured his suffering. What made this man able to do this? I will give him, Revelation says, the aid of a hidden man, yes. which is from heaven. But this is not for a carnal man, woman, boy, or girl. This is for the one that is striving to be an overcomer. I'm challenged with the fact. 
have always been and still have a deep down inside of those who have, have suffered, those who are suffering now, and those who will suffer is hidden from the eyes of mortal beings. It's that hidden manner, that divine strength, enablement that caused them to go to the stakes, that go through the flames, the wild beasts, the torture chambers, which just steadfastly had caused the carmeners to tremble, had many fell to their knees and claimed salvation because these individuals stood upright, failing to give in to their tormentors unless caused souls to be saved. Now then, Christian friends, we are faced with the fact that 50 million souls were slaughtered during the dark ages. Individuals who would not, they could have, all they asked them to do was deny Jesus, deny the Christian faith, deny that it ever happened, deny that they were Jesus. And they would have to suffer. But they reached some place up in the heavens, and there, far down, they found the ability to stand. I'm asking you if such things as that is there in the Word of God. For those individuals, why in God's faith can we realize it is for us in our time? For us in our loneliness, for us in our desperation, for us in our suffering, it's for us. And it'll make soldiers of the cross of us that we never dreamed we could be. Hidden manner from heaven. In the ancient tabernacle, the high priest alone knew where the Pentecost man was hidden. And our high priest alone is the only one that's able to dispense this manner. Which is a type of the manna there. We need to keep in mind also that the manna was given day by day. Yes. Except for the Sabbath. And he said, now you just pack together day by day because it's not going to keep all the time. You can't just go and pick up enough to last you week. Amen. You could have then, and you can't now. Amen. Day by day. Searching, studying, growing from the Word of God is a necessity for spiritual strength. And we'll always have what we need. Yes. You know, I look around, I look at those individuals, and I read the Foxes Book of Martyrs. If you've got it, you ought to try to read it, but you won't read it a few pages at a time. And these things actually happen, and I look. And I wonder how in God's name could they do it. Because in my present frame of mind, and I stand and being honest, I don't know that I could. And then Jesus makes me fully aware that every problem that comes, He always gives me enough strength to be an overcome. Yes. He doesn't give me any more than I need. Why give me what I don't need to face tomorrow, waiting tomorrow this year? And let me be fully assured that he's got us this far by faith. That he's going to take us the rest of the way. He'll give us no more than we need. And he'll give us more, no less than we need. But he'll give us what we need when we need it. But it takes faith. You have to reach out and believe his faith. And you have to take his word And realize that we draw from that. If you'll ever notice... As evening time draws near, and we are in evening time, 
You wonder is my light shining? Certainly doesn't look very bright. But if you ever notice in evening time, you can turn your lights on and you just don't see too much difference. They're just as bright as the other ones. But you just don't see much difference. And finally, when it's pitch dark, those lights seem to shine out into the future. Hallelujah. That's what the church needs when it's pitch dark. When it's evening time and the shadows are falling, our light is still shining. It just doesn't seem like it penetrates. We can't see. But the darker it is, the more penetration into the darkness it's going to have. But it has to shine. It has to be on. Hidden man. Man that cost 50,000 mortals during the dark ages. Man that caused the apostle Peter to say, I have to be crucified upside down. I can't be crucified in the same way as this. Man that caused a young man to run with the lions and pull the lions on. Man that caused Polycarp to say, it is years I've served him, which is done in your Why should I deny it? Word of God. Strength. That is his. There's a need for the church to realize and we need to with the truth. That we're getting into the darkness of the And we need to get ready for the coming of God. If the Jews are trying to prepare for our Messiah, we who know that his second coming is in also make preparations to be in Jerusalem and bring them together. I don't know that, but I want to go, don't you? You want to go, you want to be a child of God, sweet and power and honor. Let's worship Him right now. Say, Father, whatever comes to my way, whatever suffering that I have to go through, whatever trials and tribulations, Father, I know there's hidden man that will sustain me, lest I fall when they go for the powers of God. Father, we know. We know that thou art God. We stand secure in the supreme knowledge of you, Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. We appreciate you. Hallelujah. And we want to go all the way. All the way. Hallelujah. Give me that. What you eat is what you are. In man, these divine minds. All of that, which we're ready to You need to take a beer with you and ask yourself the question, what would I mean today? What would I mean today? Did this game of God appear in this direction or that diet? So I want you to like the definition. Friend, let's get ready. Let's get ready for the coming of the Lord. Let's shake our hands and realize there's a need. Not be satisfied just to be ready for the We don't have much time. The Bible says, Preach, time to come in and do what the Lord is going on with the building. Please, we will have this.